Well, good morning. It is good to be here with you this morning. I'm so glad that we have some visitors here with us this morning. We want to welcome you. If you're from out of town, we're glad you uh, stopped in with us. If you're here from the community, we're very glad you're here with us. If you have any questions or you have any uh, things that you just want to know more about, please come find one of us. We'd love to share our faith with you and to make you feel welcome in every way that we possibly can. We're glad you're here. We're going to be continuing our... Uh, theme we've been doing the last week and into next week. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you'll turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll be at 1 Peter chapter 1 today. We are growing in hope this December, and we are trying to grow in Christ this year. And so we have been working through that and seeing what hope we have in our Lord, in our future, in eternal life. And we've been working through that together, and it's a fruitful study to do, to think about what God has in store for us. I mean, that's probably one of the most exciting things that we could spend time thinking about. What has God got planned for me? So we'll get to explore that together today as we are in 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, there are two main parts of hope that we're going to talk about today, aim and dedication. Both of these things matter quite a bit. Uh, We're going to start with aim. Um, we have to aim our hopes properly. They have to be going towards the right thing. Uh, Have you ever heard the phrase, I'm living my best life? You know, it's a phrase I hear said quite a bit uh, nowadays, and little kids, especially when they're, you know, happy and thriving, uh, particularly when they're eating, right? That's almost always when we say it. You know, they're eating ice cream or something. They are living their best life. You know, there's... uh, books written all over the place about how we can live our best life now. All kinds of self-help books written for all ages and all kinds of people that say, guess what? Here are the steps that you can take to live your best life. And all of those books are true, provided you're not a Christian. If this is the life that you have planned for and the only life you have hoped for, then you better do everything to make sure this is your best life. But... That philosophy does not take into account everything that there is to to think about. It doesn't take death. It doesn't take future. It doesn't take hope. It certainly doesn't take eternal suffering or eternal reward into account. If If our hopes are aimed towards the wrong thing, that hope is worthless. It's building on a shaky foundation where there is no lasting reward. So let's see what our hopes should be aimed at. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to read in verses 3 through 5. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The place we need to start this morning is where our hope is created. And that's in verse 3, our living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from dead. That's where it all begins for us. Jesus being raised from the dead is the middle. It is the beginning. It is the end. It is everything that we have started our hope from in seeing Jesus Christ. And perhaps there's no one that felt this more personally than Peter. You know, Peter, if not for the resurrection, would be remembered as a man who denied Jesus three times. 
He would be remembered as a man who was a coward and as a deserter. But because of the resurrection, he has a different future. He has a life now where he can be remembered as a different person. Someone who is a strong follower and supporter of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Someone who is willing to share that no matter the cost. Peter knew the fact of the resurrection. He knew that everything had changed for him. And you know, the same is true for us. What would our identity be without the resurrection? We would be deniers of Jesus Christ. We would be deserters and cowards, sinners lost without Jesus being raised from the dead on the third day. It is the beginning of our hope. It changes who we are. So that, that helps us to join in with Peter as he starts off this great chapter, honestly one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture, by saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What has He done for us but saved us through the resurrection of His Son? And it shows us that this resurrection was given in mercy. That's the first thing He says, according to His great mercy. Peter's life was that example of that. He had made a big mistake. He had lied to protect himself instead of following Jesus all the way. And he deserved punishment from sin as a result. So Jesus, being raised from the dead, took away the punishment that was to come. If you want to know what Peter's fate would have been without the resurrection, look no further than Judas, another denier of Jesus. There was only death waiting for Peter. There was no life. There was no hope until Jesus was raised from the dead. And that changed everything. And the same is true for us. We received the mercy of the resurrection. We were destined for death, for eternal punishment, because we are a sinful people. But that has all changed because God has spared us with the great mercy we have been given through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this results in a great change. You'll see it in your text, causing us to be born again to a living hope. We have been radically changed is who we are. Because of the resurrection, we are born again. That means we have a new chance at life. Our old man is put away and we are born to a new identity, a new person, a new follower of God, different than what we were before. You know, when we are born again in this hope, it changes everything about us, our hopes and our character. Peter talks about this at the end of the chapter. Uh, between verses 22 and 25, uh, we'll just read verse 23. Uh, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. We're changed not just in character, but in hope that we are now imperishable. We have something that is lasting, something that we can look forward to. Our old lives are gone. This resurrection adds up to a new living hope. But what is that new hope specifically? And that's where we get into verse 4, to an inheritance. So we need to just define what we mean here. What is an inheritance? Uh, I think we're familiar with the concept a little bit in our culture today. You know, that, that still exists for us today. And Peter has heard Jesus talk about things similar to it. He heard Jesus talk about a treasure in heaven that could not be corrupted. No moth could destroy it and no thief could steal it. He was familiar with the idea of there is something lasting out there that God is going to give to us. But inheritance takes it a step farther from treasure, which can come from any source, 
does not have to come from something specific, to an inheritance, which comes from a giver given to yourself. It is something that typically comes from a family member. A father has saved up something and given it to their family. You know, inheritance is not just the stuff that you get. Inheritance is a way of saying that you belong to someone. It's a way of saying, this is my family right. You know, it's something that we're familiar with in our culture to some degree. But I think it's something even more familiar to the culture of a people in this time. The people in this time really cared about inheritance. Because we might get some money from a loved one that has saved up, that has loved us enough to leave us something to provide for us. But in their day, it was more than that. It was a way of showing honor to your family that this is my son and I accept him. You know, this is the background for all the trouble between Jacob and Esau. You know, they could not agree on that birthright. They could not come together to understand inheritance. This is the trouble behind the uh, parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son could not wait for his inheritance. He did not respect his inheritance. And so then he grabbed it early and then he wasted it. That inheritance matters. It's a big deal and it's important because it shows that family bond. So it's not just a family word though. It is also a uh, Old Testament concept because the nation of Israel saw inheritance too. The children of Israel received an, a promise of inheritance that was the promised land. There was a significant part of that promised land that we need to see because it carries to us before we talk about them receiving it. Because what were the children of Israel before they received the promised land? They were exiles. They were nomads. They, they did not have a land and they looked forward to having a land. And Peter writes this to the people in this letter. It is a theme throughout the letter. Take a look at verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Take a look over at verse 17 of chapter 1. Uh, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Chapter 2, verse 11. Um, keep your conduct... Oh, excuse me, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Peter is writing to a group of people that were exiles. That concept passes down from the Israelites in the wilderness down to the people in Peter's day and down to us. We are exiles, people looking for an inheritance, an inherited land where we belong. You know, I, do you think that idea of being an exile helps the hope of getting an inheritance? Not having a place to rest your head makes you hope for a place where you can stay forever? You know, I realize I'm speaking to many of you this morning who have lived in River Oaks all your life. And even though you've lived in the same place all your life, you're still in exile. You still don't have a home. You still have a place that you're looking forward to that will give you rest in a way that River Oaks cannot. And maybe you've lived in the same place for a long time. It's nothing compared to an inherited promised land that God has set aside for you. 
This idea is spoken of by God again and again throughout Scripture. The idea of an inherited land was something that motivated Israel for generations. It began um, in part with Abraham. I will give you a land that I will show you. Are you hearing the tense in that? Are you seeing the hope that Abraham had to live with? I will show you this land that I will give you. Abraham didn't really get to receive that land in his lifetime in the way that he might have hoped. But it's something his descendants got to receive. It's something that was passed down. It was a place that they belonged. Even if they were nomads or exiles, it's a place that they could look to, that they were going to go to and live in at some point. It was a home when they were slaves in Egypt that they hoped they could leave Egypt and go back to the place where their forefathers were buried. It was a place wandering in the wilderness where people hoped for a home. Inheritance is not just a chunk of change that you get someday. Inheritance is a place where you find a home where you belong so that you can rest. Joshua chapter 11 verse 23. So Joshua took the entire land just as the Lord had directed Moses, and he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. Then the land had rest from war. You seen the inheritance in that? They had a hope for a land that God could give them. So the idea of inheritance is important. It is not just something you get. It's a part of your identity, of who you're getting it from, and a place where you will live, of where you hope to go. It's something that we should hope in because it's better than what we have now. It's something you don't have yet. It's a future word as well. It, being in exile strengthens that hope for inheritance. I don't have a permanent home. You know, I don't have a place where I find rest, but I will have a place that gives perfect rest. I will have a place that meets all of my needs. I will have a place where I am with the Father who has given me that inheritance. That's what we're seeing here. So we need to see what makes our inheritance special. What about it is so important? Uh, we don't know exactly what the heavenly inheritance will look like, uh, but we need to get the best understanding of it that we can so that we can long for it, hope for it more than we do now. And so we're going to go through this to see what our aim should be towards as the inheritance is this, um, from the state we were in as exiles, as we are currently in as exiles, lost, exiled, without a home, and now seeing an inheritance, a promised place with our Lord. So what about the inheritance is special? We see that in uh, 1 Peter 1 and verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says it is lasting in five different ways. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, guarded by God's power. It's a lot of ways to say this is not going anywhere. You know, we have a hard time understanding perfection without seeing it from a list of negatives removed sometimes. So let's, let's restate this. And in other words, this inheritance cannot die. It cannot be corrupted or polluted in any way. It will not lose its glory at all in a place that won't decay. And it cannot be attacked because it's guarded by an almighty God. That's impressive. You know, people spend a lot of money on insurance and security systems and all kinds of protective measures for their homes here today. 
and houses still get broken into and houses still burn down. We can't have things that last. I think all of us get that. Not so with our inheritance. Our inheritance is something that is lasting, will not go away. It is trustworthy. It is something we can put our hope in because it is guarded by God. So that's what Peter shows us. It is by God's power there in verse 5. God's power has given us this inheritance. That means it's trustworthy. Maybe you've heard the phrase in uh, investment terms. It is uh, backed by the full faith and credit of blah, 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 this bank, this municipality. You know, the idea that they're trying to convey is this idea, this investment does not fail. Although there are times when those investments still fail. The investment guarded by the power of God cannot fail. It is backed by the full power, the full faith of God. And so Peter tells us that's where it's coming from. And when Peter talks about the power of God, he knows what he's talking about. He saw the power of God firsthand. He saw storms calmed before his eyes. He saw miraculous amount of fish caught He saw a miraculous amount of people fed. He saw people healed left and right, demons cast out. He saw Jesus transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw Jesus raised from the dead. When when Peter talks about the power of God, he knows what he's talking about, at least to some degree, as far as you can in human experience. He has seen the power of God. And so when he says your inheritance is guarded by that same power of God, he knows he is saying it is guarded by a God who cannot die, guarded by a God who cannot be defeated by any demon, any sickness, any weakness. He has overcome all of it, and he has an inheritance kept for you. That's the hope we have through the power of God. So it is waiting for us in the last time. We know what is coming, the great inheritance of Jesus Christ. We know who it is from. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when do we get it? Now you see why we need hope. Because it's coming someday in the last times. We don't have it just yet. But there is a time coming where that inheritance will be made real, where Jesus will come back, where we will be reunited with Him and have a home and a relationship in a way that we have never seen for ourselves before in that way. So, the gift of all that heaven contains is given to us. We just have to endure life before we receive it. And that's where Peter goes next. So you remember, we talked about there are two parts that we're going to look at together. We've seen the aim of our hope. We're aiming for that inheritance through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So how dedicated to it are we? And A big part of our hope is that dedication. Hope that can be easily forgotten is not hope at all. And we can learn a lot from people in our world and how they hope. Their aim is not right. They often have misplaced hope. It's a common symptom of a sinful world. But they still hope in something. Like an athlete hoping for victory. Uh, We often see athletes like that that have worked and trained and overcome because they know what their hope is. They visualize the end they are working towards and they fill themselves with their hope so much so that it becomes their identity. Now, in the scope of eternity, those earthly hopes don't get them anywhere. 
But there's a lot we can learn about the dedication people show towards their hopes. And we can pursue a hope that lasts with the dedication we see from people who show that hope. So let's read, uh, picking up in verse 6. We'll read through verse 12. Peter continues, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. We need to start by just noticing hope is not easy. There's a lot to overcome. The section is going to enrich our first section. Because aim is important, but dedication with our aim is discipleship. That's what changes our hope to a lifestyle of people who are identified as people of Christ. And we know that life here is difficult. You know, we mentioned that the theme of exile is throughout this letter. These people don't fit in with their world. And 17 times throughout this letter, Peter uses the word suffering. It's constant. It's everywhere. The people that Peter are writing to feel it. They know it. We just spent our entire Bible class talking about persecution and suffering. It's part of our world's experience. So here's the question we need to ask. Are those difficulties causing me to hope in something better? There's a chance for us to be more dedicated in our hope when we face difficulties. Many people see these difficulties and it's a chance for them to give up. Maybe this hope isn't worth it. I'll just change my focus to something that's a little easier. Well, that's not dedication. The dedication of our hope means we will overcome any obstacle, any trial, any suffering to continue towards that great aim. So trials come and they test faith. The first thing that is said is that you will be grieved by various trials. You see the so that? so that your faith might be tested and found more precious than gold. These trials are not for no reason. These trials are here to make us better. These trials are here for us to respond to. Because people often quit when they have those hard times. But what we are supposed to do in those moments of difficulty is to grow in our faith, grow in our hope, these sufferings are supposed to strengthen our resolve to follow Jesus Christ. Secondly, if you read 1 Peter, you'll see that the suffering leads to the glory of God. You see it here in our section. Uh, so that the test of genuineness of your faith, verse 7, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our hope is to glorify the giver of our inheritance. 
That's what our aim is. That's what our hope involves. And then, of course, finally, our hope causes us to overcome and hope in an inheritance, a glory that we will receive from God's grace one day as well. That's what this is all for. These trials cause us to see how sweet the promises are. They cause us to want. They cause us to hope. They cause us to have a different outlook on suffering entirely. As many of you know, uh, Paul Earnhardt died this week. He was a great example and a wonderful preacher for decades in the Louisville area and has impacted many people worldwide with his work in the gospel. He was a good and humble man that I looked up to, and I know many others did as well. I'm reading a book of his right now, um, and there's a quote in the book that, that just needed to come into the sermon. Uh, he wrote, The Lord's disciples should rejoice at an opposition which reveals that the spirit and character of their Savior has been seen in them. They should rejoice because they have been granted the privilege of suffering for one who endured such abuse for their sakes. But most of all, they should rejoice because their suffering is not empty. They can embrace it joyfully, knowing that it transforms the character and works for them a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Do not be fooled into thinking that the blessings of this world are all that there are. They're not. The blessings of this world are good, provided they're put in the right context. The sufferings of this world are good, provided they're put in the right context. All that context should put the inheritance of Jesus Christ right there in front of us as our only goal put in front of us so that we can pursue it with all that we are. Suffering in this world does far more for us so that we can set our hope in the better life to come. The whole goal of this section is that we are in the second half of verse 7 all the way through verse 9, so that the praise and glory and honor of the Lord Jesus Christ may increase and so that we can be saved to the inheritance that we have hoped for. I hope we see that trials push us to hope. I hope we see that we are challenged to move forward, to dedicate ourselves to hope. And Peter gives an example of this in the last few verses here in verses 10 through 12. Peter used the prophets as an example of hope for us. Perhaps some of the most persecuted people in all of history uh, we see are people of hope. Because they were given the message of the Christ before Jesus ever came to this earth. And they were charged with sharing that message so that everyone could see Jesus when he comes and hope in Jesus that he will save them from their sins. Everything will be different and everything will be better. But then in the middle of that section, he adds this moment. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. They were causing hope for later generations that they might see Jesus more clearly. They could only had the hope. They didn't have the true realization of Jesus there that they could touch with their hands and see with their eyes. And you know, we're in a similar situation. They helped people see Jesus before he came. We can help see people see Jesus before he comes again. We are a prophet of the coming of the Lord Jesus. We don't know when. We don't know exactly what it'll look like, but we know he is coming. And we know that is a great day for those who are destined to have the inheritance, those who are his people. That's what we need to be sharing with everyone around us. 
our hope and the inheritance will push us to share that great news that Jesus' resurrection has changed everything for all of us. And our hope and that inheritance will cause us to have stronger endurance to wait for that day with hopeful anticipation. To close our sermon, let's finish by reading the change it causes in us in our own personal relationship with God and how we walk with God. So verses 13 through 21, we see how we behave, how this aim and dedication morphs us into something new and better. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according uh, to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ." like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. We have been greatly impacted by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It changes who we are today. It changes our thoughts about what today is because we have a greater hope for tomorrow. And it changes how we endure the trials between today and tomorrow. I pray He gives us the strength we need to see that inheritance with our full mind's eye. We are ready and aware, thinking about the day where Jesus returns. It's a hopeful day. It's a great day. Our world is full of lies about our future. You can do anything you want to. It's not true. You can be anything you want to be. It's not true. There are false hopes for us anywhere we look. There are far more possible ways for failure than for everything to go our way. Occasionally, you'll see people who've reached their earthly hopes. They've set their goal really high. And what's fascinating is so often you look at those people and they're miserable because they realize this is all there is. This is all there is. We have a hope that will fulfill every wish that we could hope for a relationship with God. All that heaven holds will be available to us because that's the good news we have this morning. There is a better hope than anything that you have hoped for in this world. There is a lasting hope that we have an inheritance in heaven for us that we have received because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I hope you want to take part in that. I know that I do. The question is, will you be dedicated to that aim of your hope no matter what? So if you need to make a change this morning to be a part of that great inheritance, you can come forward this morning and be baptized into the blood of Jesus, or you can make your relationship right with Jesus. He will wash your sins away and give you hope and an inheritance greater than anything you've seen before. What stops you from hoping in that inheritance? Please come as we stand and sing.